Well, the other great joy here is that it is the biggest kick between the legs for ESG investing that you've ever seen. <laughs> this concept, this concept that we only invest in nice things. Well, actually, the practical realities of life are that we need to defend ourselves. But we need to have energy. Um, but let's go back for a sec to this freezing out of Russia financially, yeah. albeit we're still buying phenomenal amounts of oil and gas. The interesting part of this, and maybe this is going to become very controversial, and you'll know more, Sam, about this particular aspect than I do, is that... Hello and welcome to the Fortune and Freedom podcast, where Nigel Farage and Nikolai Hubble give you a unique take on what's really going on in the world of finance, investing, and politics. We hope you sit back and enjoy this episode. Welcome to the Week in Review with Nigel Farage. As you can see, I am not Nick Hubble. I am Sam Volkering. Uh, Nick is away today because he has added a new family member to his uh, expanding brew. So uh, I'm here with Nigel uh, to talk about the Week in Review, the geopolitical movements that have been happening in the world. And there is absolutely immense number of things that we can cover and we'll, we'll, we'll talk about today. Uh, but again, welcome, Nigel. Thanks for joining us. Uh, so, I mean, it, it's it's quite clear everything has just kicked off to another level in Russia and Ukraine. Um, we are witnessing a, a a war, which, you know, to be honest, the world's not used to seeing it so close to, to their borders, particularly here in sort of Europe and the UK. Uh, it's, it's leading to quite a lot of people freaking out about uh, what's happening and the direction that this could end up. Um, the threat of, of World War Three is plastered across the headlines on a daily basis, so people are scared. But um, I guess it's important to get your take on, on what's happening um, and what you see as some of the ramifications coming out of this. Where where should we start with this? Because it, this is impacting energy markets. There's a financial strangulation on the Russian economy, um, as as we can see. You know the the oil markets, uh, the price of oil is is skyrocketing. There's talk that. Uh, Russia's oil will just not be sold anywhere or bought anywhere. The demand will fall off a cliff, um, which could see an exponential spike in, in oil prices. What do you what do you make of all this? What direction are we heading? I'm surprised. I'd always thought Putin to be a rational player. I don't think everything we've seen since 2008, you know, whether we're talking about Georgia, whether we're talking about the Crimea, whether we're talking about the initial push into the Donbass region. I understood why he was doing it. He was doing it because they were Russian-speaking communities who in many ways would rather be part of greater Russia than part of somewhere else. I'm, I'm not justifying it, I'm explaining it. I didn't for one moment think he would launch an all-out assault on Kiev and Western, and, and, and Western Ukraine. He's done it. Uh, it makes me question now whether we're dealing with a rational actor, somebody who for 22 years has lived in an ivory tower as a dictator with everybody too afraid to say anything to him, that briefing with his security chiefs, where he, you know, he treated them like school kids. Yeah. Um, he's made. I, I think he's made a massive fundamental error. He's managed to unite the West to get Germany to U-turn on virtually everything it stood for for the last twenty years. Mm. America's hopeless, and then it's led by the worst president in history. But there's been a remarkable degree of unity. And you know, normally I hear the word sanctions. Oh, yes, yeah, sanctions. Who cares about sanctions? I mean, you know, people find a way around them. These sanctions are working. Yeah. These sanctions are working, and the oligarchs are hacked off. They've had a great 25 years. A house in Chelsea, 
a super yacht in Monaco, kids at Eton. That's all coming rapidly to an end. Even Switzerland now going to freeze certain Russian bank accounts. So in geopolitical terms, this is huge. Uh, Russia is being frozen. Of course, we mm. depend very much on their gas and their oil. And by the way, their wheat. Wheat yes. prices have also spiked dramatically in the course of the last week. So here's our dilemma. The tougher the sanctions we put on Russia, the higher the household bills will be for all of us living in the West. And that's a very, very difficult call. Interesting to see Liz Truss in the House of Commons, the Foreign Secretary yesterday, saying, you know, we're all going to have to pay a price for this. I don't see any way under Putin that Russia ever gets let back into the international community. It isn't going to happen. And what it means is it drives Russia closer to Beijing. So I actually think when it comes to selling his gas and oil, if we did manage to wean ourselves off, I think he's got a pretty ready market with China. Um, and in geopolitical terms, uh, the thought of the two of those becoming close allies is pretty horrendous. Actually, it's pretty scary, pretty worrying. Pakistan already taking sides with that particular group. So it's big stuff. It's led to... It's led to something happening that I'd wanted to happen for 20 years. Number one, a rethink on defence expenditure. Mm -hmm. you know, not only have the British government just run down our forces to the most extraordinary extent on the basis that we know all the threats in the world that exist. Well, who would have thought two weeks ago we'd even be facing what's happening in Ukraine? That's led to a change of thinking. And for Germany, who have been, I, I mean, frankly, abusing the NATO system for years, Trump, uh, you know, really called them out. He called them delinquent, <laughs> which was quite entertaining. Um, delinquent Germany has U-turn, done a 180, and said it's going to start spending 2% of its GDP on defence. We don't spend 2%. It looks like 2% because we add in the ceremonial duties and all the rest of it. So there's going to be a big rethink on defence spending in the West. Not so much America. They've already increased defence spending hugely under Trump's four years. So I think the one big reset, something that is here to stay, is more government spending on defence. And that, of course, you know, I know the markets are rocky and all the rest of it, but in terms of investments going forward, that's something for people to get into their heads. The second thing is energy. This lunatic, insane drive to net zero. And I say insane because if you import your gas and import your oil and import your coal, and are happy to outsource your steel manufacturing, your heavy engineering to India and China. You're not reducing CO2 at all, not in terms of global output. You're just reducing your own country's output of CO2. British government has relentlessly beyond this uh, for the last couple of decades, uh, happy to put huge costs on electricity bills in the form of green subsidies, which has been paid to big landowners, offshore wind companies from um, from. Denmark, um, Chinese producers of solar panels. Uh, there's going to be a rethink on all of this, a very big rethink on all of this. Significantly, very significantly, the leader of the German Greens. Now, the Greens are against all fossil fuels and they've been against nuclear. They basically want us to wear hemp, ride bicycles and live in caves, I think. But reality is catching up. And the head of the Green Party, and she's now the foreign minister, has said, She's prepared now to extend the life of the three remaining 
nuclear power stations in Germany. That is a very dramatic turnaround from the Greens. And I, I, my personal view is that nuclear energy has got a big future, even in America, where memories of Three Mile Island, you know, had, had lasted for decades, even in America now, and I've just come back um, from a big conference in Orlando, even in America, nearly 70% of the American population now think investment in nuclear is part of their way forward. So I think a complete energy rethink. Uh, the cry will be self-sufficiency on energy. And again, I think that's got huge investment implications going for the next two years. And folks, I'm not saying this. Uh, I'm not saying this in a knee-jerk reaction to what's happening today uh, in Ukraine. I genuinely believe these are two fundamental resets. Now, the, the fascinating um, part. The, the, the idea of nuclear. So this is, I mean, as, as an Australian, uh, just as my cat decides to jump across camera, um, as an Australian, you know, nuclear has been one of the most contentious topics in markets for as long as I can remember being in the markets. And it's always had a, a bad PR image for some, what are effectively outlier events with, with nuclear reactors like Fukushima and Chernobyl and things yeah. like that. Um, I, I completely agree with you that I think nuclear is is indeed the future, um, even though it's old technology, but it's it's gotten a lot better in, in recent times. It's gotten cleaner. The way they manage it is much better. Um, so it's interesting that you that you bring that up because the idea of energy independence, which was something that was very big under Trump's administration, was to make America energy independent. And seemingly that has all just been given away under the, the new establishment. Um, so... How does, how does that play into the market? I mean, the irony, sorry, go ahead. I mean, the irony of Joe Biden within four days of inauguration approving Nord Stream 2 for Russia, whilst at the same time closing down the Montana pipeline, this is not lost on the American electorate. <laughs> I mean, you know, people can see this. And so, so as I say, these are, these are not my comments, they're not knee-jerk comments. I, I genuinely believe these are two fundamental shifts. I really do. Interestingly, as well as is when you talk about the defense side of things, I, I saw something recently that that was a a poll of the German uh, people that uh, had had suggested that they their approach to defense spending as well was dramatically changing. Is that I think the figure was something like in excess of seventy percent of the German population was now in support of greater military spending in order to shore up their defenses, and yeah. it feels like what's happened at the moment has probably been a wake up call to. Uh, for lack of a better phrase, the woke brigade about the real threats that do exist on the doorstep of Europe from uh, from Russia, and oh, yeah. it, would, it would make sense to see increases in defence spending and in uh, and in, in, in energy independence from that as well. Because I think I, I read recently uh, that they're looking at importing LNG from areas as far away as Australia, but that comes at a great cost. Um, you're certainly not going to achieve net zero when you're sending great ships of LNG across uh, the Indian Ocean up the way to no. to Europe. No. Um, financially, how does this play out in and the, the other great as well? Well, the other great joy here is that it is the biggest kick between the legs for ESG investing that you've <laughs> ever seen. This concept. This concept that we only invest in nice things. Well, actually, the practical realities of life are that we need to defend ourselves. And we need to have energy. Um, but let's go back for a sec to this freezing out of Russia financially, yeah. albeit we're still buying 
phenomenal amounts of oil and gas. The interesting part of this, and maybe this is going to become very controversial, and you'll know more, Sam, about this particular aspect than I do, is that the crypto markets are not going along with this complete ban on uh, Russian assets. And maybe one of the reasons why crypto, after a big fall, um, has rallied, I don't know, about 15% this week, something like that, yeah. um, is we're beginning to see Russians transfer assets into crypto wallets, into crypto assets. Quite how, I mean, if, I mean, I, and, and let's not try and, you know, be too pessimistic, but, you know, if he bombs Kiev flat in order to take it, you know, the, 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 the condom, which happened in Grozny, you know, so it's not impossible with this blame. Mm. The level of international condemnation will reach fever pitch. Quite what governments then decide to do about crypto, I just don't know. It's, I, I think it's an interesting dilemma because the, the misconception is that through crypto, the Russians will be able to evade sanctions. And no, Elizabeth Warren, Senator Elizabeth Warren over in the US, is, I think it was yesterday or the day before, put out a tweet talking about how Russia is going to use Bitcoin and crypto to evade sanctions and they'll be able to manage quite comfortably around that and that, that there should be more regulation and, and control over these networks. When in reality, you know, to use Bitcoin to evade sanctions would probably be the worst thing that they could do because of the transparency of Bitcoin's ledger. Uh, that it would be quite easy to track the movement of crypto assets from what you know. There are quite advanced um, forensic utilities that can be that can be used to track who owns wallets, who owns Bitcoin wallets. So it would actually be kind of like then trying to evade sanctions wide out in the open, which is really a ridiculous idea. So I think I think the argument that um, they will be using Bitcoin and crypto to evade a lot of these financial sanctions. Probably shows a fundamental lack of understanding from policymakers that are claiming that this is the new the new way to avoid the yes. issues. I think what what you mentioned though that is relevant is that for the average Russian that is seeing their livelihoods evaporate in front of their eyes, that, that are queuing up at ATMs trying to just get money out of a bank, which is there's a bank run in Russia at the moment. There's no two ways about that. This strangulation of their economy for the average Russian that doesn't want war, that didn't ask for this, but is being absolutely obliterated because of it, That's this is, this is an alternative outlet. This is a way for them to get their money out of a system that is, uh, that is seeing them become collateral damage. Um, and that's why so big exchanges like Binance have not banned Russian users from their account because it it fundamentally yeah. goes against the very ethos of why crypto exists. And it means that average Russians and Ukrainians, for that matter, can shift their wealth <clears throat> and protect their wealth in an alternative system, which is an incredibly powerful tool to use. Yes, but expect to hear more Elizabeth Warrens. Expect to hear <laughs> huge controversy. Expect there to be huge debate around this issue over the course of the next few weeks. Do you, do you also foresee that what's these financial controls that are being put in place is also somewhat of a mm. precursor as to even more rationale as to why the Bank of England and other central banks will be perhaps looking to accelerate the move towards a central bank-backed currency as well so that these sorts of sanctions can be, you know, flick of a switch, 
cut off and it can be they can mobilize this financial weapon they've got at, at, at their disposals a lot more readily to Russia and to other regimes that they certainly want to shut down. You say financial weapon. I suspect that when central government tries to introduce their own form um, of digital currency, they'll make a complete and utter mess of it because they normally do. <laughs> whereas the market, whereas the free market starts, it makes mistakes, it makes errors, and in the end, it finds a way through. I don't think an overnight sort of transformation, a rapid transformation to government run, government organized, run by bureaucrat digital currencies is going to be a straightforward easy process and yes their minds will go in this direction but it isn't going to happen quickly yeah indeed i think the 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 thing that we can certainly take away from everything that's happening at the moment is that the the tools at the disposal of governments to to coerce to control to uh, manipulate economies financial economies whether it be Russia, the implications that that has, you know, as, as we've talked about today, the, the impact that, that everything that's going on with the energy markets, um, you know, this obviously, there's a bigger yeah. conversation to be had over, over many probably hours about the impact that's going to have on the US dollar. As you say, if Russia does then decide to cozy up a bit closer with China and, and vice versa, the impact that has then on trade out of China with companies, with countries like the US and how that impacts, you know, a, a much broader range of industries like the semiconductor industry um, and and tech and, and and like you say, the the this approach to net zero, which seems to be a flawed argument uh, in many many situations. So there is a lot of conversation to have out of the back of this. Um, appreciate your your views, your your insight into the ge- geopolitical movements that are happening at the moment. Um, is there anything you'd like to probably close off with that that you think people should be aware of? Um, in the market that, that this might have some real you know, short-term impact? I think we've given fortune and freedom read, uh, readers and viewers more than enough to think about this morning. I really do. <laughs> Indeed. And there'll be much more in the coming weeks to cover off on all of this. So thanks again, Nigel, for joining us this morning. Uh, appreciate your insight. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Uh, I've been Sam Volkering. Nick Hubble should be, should be back with you pretty soon, uh, I would imagine. But uh, thanks for watching, and we'll see you again soon. Bye for now. 